Hi, everybody. This is Blaine DeSantis, and I welcome you to another edition of Books and Looks. Yes, it's our weekly voyage of discovery in the world of books, books I've been reading, authors I've been interviewing. And as always, you can find them on podcasts. That's right, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, any place you find podcasts, we're there, along with YouTube. That's right, you can now watch us on YouTube. That's really great. And you can get my full reviews for each book I'm talking about on viewsonbooks.com. Anyway, today we are meeting with the author P.L. Hampton. That's right, P.L. Hampton. And he has got a wonderful new book called Shadowland. This is a very good book. It's uh, only the gentleman's second book. It deals with the supernatural, with the paranormal, with a lot of things I'm not usually a big fan of in terms of my reading genres, but this book really grabbed me. Not only that, it has got some of the greatest dialogue I have read in decades. He is master at dialogue. This all begins with a Eurobond uh, sable, and we go from there. Yes, this is a book based on some of the traditions and cultures of West Africa, okay? And we deal with divination trades, and with that area between heaven and hell, is it purgatory? I'm not sure. But, you know, there are a lot of similarities in this book to that. I mean, we even have his main character being led by someone who he patterns after Virgil, leading Dante through the Inferno. Oh, yeah. You're going to see a lot of things here that might remind you of something. As a matter of fact, at one point, I, I was reminded of the movie Ghostbusters. It's great. This is a wonderful book. I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. And I'm telling you what, PL is a wonderful gentleman, a good young writer. So let's go right into our interview with PL Hampton. And as promised, friends, we are joined today by a wonderful, uh, I consider a new author. His name is PL Hampton, or Phil, I'll call him now and then. PL Hampton, welcome to Books and Looks. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, P.L. has a wonderful new book. As I said, it's called Shadowland. I hope everyone can see that. Rather see the book than my face, okay? Shadowland. And this is one heck of a book, friend. This is one great book. You never know when you get a book what it's going to do. And this one just grabbed me from the very beginning. And so, first of all, kudos. P.L., wonderful, wonderful book. So, so happy. I, I hope this is doing well and just going to be selling like crazy, we hope. Thank you very much for that, Blaine. And um, uh, it is doing, it's doing, it is, the sales are pretty good. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you get your education? Matter of fact, I even hear you're still getting an education is, is at this very time. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. Uh, I was uh, I went to school in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, got a degree in finance there, and um, that's where I met my college sweetheart. And I uh, moved to Minneapolis, but now I'm currently living in San Diego. Um, and uh, I am currently still in school. Uh, I don't know why, but I got an itch to go to the law back to school, and I'm studying law. Great. Great. Wonderful. Did you ever take any creative writing courses or anything to that effect? I did. Um, I had a, I had it in college. Well, first of all, foremost, uh, I'll give you a brief story for me. Writing has always been very cathartic. 
uh, it, it allowed me to get a lot of things out of my mind that I usually have. My mind would be racing a lot. And so as a kid around teenager, um, I used to carry around a notepad just with me and I would write down sentences, uh, dialogue that I would think somebody would say ideas that would cross my mind. And I, I did that. I do. I still do that today, but I, I carry, uh, uh, I have a pad now next to my bed. Cause usually this story Shadowland came to me. Uh, and actually when my wife got up, said she saw somebody, a shadow of a man in the living room. And, and basically that dialogue in that chapter is almost pretty much how it went. And then from there, my whole uh, idea took off. I couldn't even sleep that night. And I just kept writing, kept writing. So I, I usually do that. But I did take an album I had took in a class. And she was very much into telling me that I had good ideas, good stories, and that I said, pursue it. Um, didn't really pursue, of course, you know, writers don't get paid. Um, so, of course, I went into something where I thought there was more of a career, a future. And... Um, not until I moved to Minneapolis as uh, an adult and was married, I started taking courses um, here at a place called The Loft. It's a creative writing place where you can have people help you with your writing, your creative writing, as well as screenplays and stuff, along, things along that nature. Okay. Very good. Well, now, one of the things, uh, and friends, when you read this book, the dialogue is outstanding just outstanding and i've read this in my kindle on my kindle on my iphone kindle app and the physical copy checking to see you know does it does it go back and forth well it does this dialogue is dynamic it is it is the most realistic dialogue i have ever read peel how'd you do that where did you get this knack to write this amazing dialogue uh, it wasn't, uh, something that came easily to me for me. Um, as you know, everybody, you tend to try to continue to perfect your craft and keep going and keep going and learn more and learn more. Um, and I do think those creative writing classes helped as long with those workshops at the loft, uh, big kudos to the loft. It's a very wonderful place, writing environment, writing place here in Minneapolis, a very conducive uh, to uh, writers and helping them perfect the craft. And I just I just wanted to write dialogue that you and I would say in a regular conversation. How many books have you written all again? Okay. I've written two books uh, dealing with paranormal. Um, I am also writing some books that are nonfiction, but they're dealing with more of my uh, studies. Um, uh, I've written a book that was called, my first book, was called Picking Chrysanthemum. That book was dealing also paranormal. Um, really good book. Uh, I love that book. It was, like I said, it was my first. Um, and then I wrote, uh, I've written Shadowland from a fiction standpoint. And uh, I really wanted to, with Shadowland, with, you know, in our, a lot of regards, up the ante, um, really, really make it authentic. It took me a long time to write this book. I did a lot of research into the Yoruba um, culture, Yoruba tribe in Nigeria. And, uh, well, Nigeria, Benin, and uh, Ghana. That's the area generally where you'll find Yoruba. Um, and how that culture, that West African culture, uh, is somewhat incorporated into the African-American culture here generally due to the fact is is that where that's the area that west african area is where a lot of uh 
African Americans originated from came from during the slave trade. I see. Okay. All right. Now, I I know you're going to law school, but do you consider yourself a full-time writer now, uh, or are you, you still just dabbling here and there? No, I consider myself a full-time writer. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, uh, there's only 24 hours in the day. <laughs> That's all. I do have to get a little rest. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're, you're absolutely correct about that. Well, I'll tell you what, now you, you begin this book with a, a Yoruban fairy tale. Now you told us a little bit about Yoruba, the, the or your, or how, is, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yoruba? It's Yoruba. 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 Okay. Yoruba. All right. Now, this is an area in West Africa that incorporates around three different countries, if I'm not mistaken. Mainly Nigeria, uh, but there is uh, some remnant, some some portions of the tribe in Benin and maybe Ghana. I'm not sure, but I know for ben- it's Benin and uh, uh, Nigeria. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, are your f- relatives from that area? Um, I, my, my, when I've done back, when I've gone through my ancestral tree, yes, they are from that area and as well as Southern, the Southern portion of, uh, Africa continent. I see. Okay. Now, were you, were you familiar with, you begin this with a Yoruba, uh, fable, which again, catches you right away. Were you familiar with this before you began writing? I um, was familiar with that fable for years. I had stumbled upon it one time, and I kept and I captured it and kept it, um, saved it because it, it really, I really liked that fable. And when I started writing this book, and it kind of took off that way, um, I saw I could incorporate that fable into it. Um, I like to c- incorporate. I, I felt there was for this particular instance. I thought it was could be an intricate part of the story on a different level since the basis of the story has some elements of African-American and African uh, origins in it. Uh, the, as you know, the uh, spirits, the, those things, those things uh, have some history going back to that area, the Yoruba tribe, the, the Iwi tribe um, in those areas and how those particular types of spirituality and culture transferred over, um, and you find those in such things as like what we call voodoo, but it's really voodoo. Um, that's how they pronounce it in the fungi language. Um, and we have things like if you know you go down to the French quarters, you'll find geekies and they throw in bones and stuff like that in certain areas down south. Um, you said you're in South Carolina, is that correct? I'm, I'm in South Carolina, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you you're you're probably familiar with some of the things I'm talking about. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the low country. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some of those things are are based on African culture and things that was done spirituality that was transferred over from Africa and taken on the uh, you know an American flavor. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. It, 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 I thought it really uh, set the tone. You know, sometimes writers put put these little things in before the. The, the book starts, and I can't figure out what the Dickens has to do with the book, but this one, right on, this was right on. I'll tell you, that was wonderful. Wow. Well, now tell me, uh, before we get into a specific question, 
can you give us all a brief overview about the plot and some of the main characters in your book? Sure. Um, the plot of the story, I'll just be real quick here. The plot is about a family, particularly a gentleman. The protagonist, his name is Aaron Langford. Uh, this gentleman, Aaron Langford, you'll find out has some some family histories. Uh, you're also going to be introduced that he has some some maybe some possible mental issues. Um, we're not too sure if that is actually what's happening or if it's not what's happening. Um, and, uh, he's had some issues in his relationship with his wife, his marriage. They have just moved to Seattle, Washington, where I am from. And they, uh, uh, kind of starting a new kind of, they think in a new start, brand new, you know, new start will, will make things better, new environment, new place. And um, a friend happens, his name is Otis Thomas, his best friend, Aaron's best friend, happens to buy a, what is called a divination tray. And that's the, the item on the front of the cover there. Uh, this is a, this right here, this is a divination tray. Matter of fact, this is my, this is my own, this is my own personal divination tray. Um, so uh, I, cause I, I, I bought, I bought a divination tray cause I really wanted to see what it was like and, and understand it. Um, but yeah, um, he buys a definition tray from a uh, neighbor. That tray, they play with it. And if you're not familiar with a definition tray, it kind of have some Ouija board similarities. Um, so they play with that. And um, a lot of weird, interesting things happened after that evening that they decided to play with it. Uh, another main character in this book who I really had to tone down because she really almost took over the book. And as a matter of fact, I have started her on her own journey in another novel, kind of a spinoff of this, because uh, I am writing a sequel to this, but it's uh, Irby. And uh, she she's the um, she's the daughter of the person who originally owned her mother originally owned that that tray, that divination tray. And. She's sort of the uh, becomes Aaron's spiritual guide uh, in a way um, throughout this book and help him in the end resolve the issue, which is bringing back his children. And in a lot of regards to uh, I, I am Tom, I am 30,000 feet here. I am kind of giving a general overview, but there's a lot of nuances to in, in how Aaron is as a, as, you know, changes as a per, as a character. Right. But it's very good. I, like I said, I really like it. And this this story all begins almost with a paper airplane. And be, we see paper airplanes throughout. But tell us about the paper airplane. The paper airplane signifies several things. Um, in the prologue, it's the paper airplane that kind of starts this whole traumatic event within his life, Aaron's life. Um he sees paper airplanes even when there is not paper airplanes because of that, that what that paper airplane signified and that what those chain events that was caused by that paper airplane has led his life down. The road has led his life down. And so he's always reminded of this in some form or another, whether it's he sees a, an airplane in the sky or whether he imagines, you know, airplanes simply just lofting over the horizon. But it's a constant reminder um, that of the trauma that which Aaron is is dealing with 
that he's possibly not even, you know, one consciously or subconsciously knows there. And two, uh, he really has to address. Now, one of the things that I found fascinating is this thing, this happens because Aaron decides to uproot his family from Washington, D.C., where they're apparently very, very successful, and move them to Seattle. Now, why did you have them move to Seattle? I think that's imperative in, in this entire uh, plot that they're no longer in Washington. Seattle, first of all, I'm from there. My first story is not in Seattle. It's in Atlanta. Uh, the one I told you about, Piggy for Sapham, that's in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta. And Seattle, I kind of want to get an old. I wanted to give an old to my city. Shout out to my city. Um, and Seattle, I don't know if you've ever been. It kind of has that quality during the winter and some, uh, the winter and fall where it's just really dreary, miserable, cloudy, um, you know, rainy. Um, so I, I, I felt that was a perfect setting to kind of set this kind of dark mood. Um, also, in Washington, as I was stating, there was they was having some family conflicts in regards to the marriage. There was some conflicts in regards to um, uh, not only his marriage with... Uh, um, Donna, but also he had issues in regards to his son, which, you know, the, the children dynamic, which plays out further in Seattle when you read along. Um, there's also some dynamics going on with his in-laws that is touched upon. Uh, so there's a lot of things going on in Washington that he felt he needed to get away from. And also he's also a uh, hematologist, a researcher in hematology, uh, which is blood work and in regards to sickle cell. And so... I later that he was working at a uh, institution in Washington, D.C., wasn't getting enough funding, was able to find funding in Seattle. So that kind of was the impetus for him moving. Right. And despite the fact that nobody else wanted to move, they moved with him. And I thought that was absolutely wonderful. I thought this was absolutely wonderful and commendable that you would have your uh, the protagonist here be a hematologist, hematologist, I should say, and be working on sickle cell anemia. Such a such a major problem. And I, I just kudos for that because I've never seen that done before in a book. Well I I I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I wanna give I want I don't want people to think that I just mainly came up with that idea myself. I kind of if you've ever read Tiana Reeve do My Soul to Keep they she she has a, I think a character in there. Her sister, uh, the main character's sister, is a hematologist, and and Tiana Reeve Du is is one of my favorite writers. Uh, so um, I want to make sure I give kudos where kudos is necessary. All right, very good. But you know what's great is while you were writer just publishing whatever they just made the FCA just made a big approval of some uh, genetic uh, something, if I'm not mistaken, to begin the process to sort of help with the uh, sickle cell anemia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, However, everything, of course, as you know now, is being broken down to the genome. So, and I, I talk about that in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, who in the family had sickle cell anemia? There were some of the characters may or may not have had sickle cell. Who, who had it? The son. Uh, his name is Asher. The character... The son Asher in this in the in the in the uh, novel, he is uh uh he has sickle cell anemia and that is 
what's driving Aaron a lot to want to find a cure. Um, uh, he, because of his history and his family of sickle cell, he's seen the effects of sickle cell, particularly on his uh, grandmother, who he was very close to. Um, he doesn't want or wants to prevent the same type of, uh, you know, prevent the ailment from creating such pain and such uh, issues with his son as well. Aaron's friend Otis brings over a housewarming gift, which you've talked about, a divination tray. Now, first of all, tell us what is a divination tray and, and, and how does it work? And what are his large powers? The divination tray is a West African um, instrument that is used to speak to the ancestors. To speak to their ancestors if, say, I have a question and I really want to get some uh, some help, and I want to get some help from my ancestors. There's always this, in West African culture, there's this link that still connects you to your ancestors, even though they are gone. This link is the spiritual realm, spiritual world. And you can communicate through to them um, via a divination tray, and there's other means, of, of course. But uh, a divination tray is more, it's not as... um. It's not as uh, open. It is not as, uh, how can I say it, uh, obvious to say a spiritual ceremony of some sort. It's simply a divination tray. There's 18 cowrie shells. Half the cowrie shells are regular cowrie shells. The other half are not only have their original opening, but they have the tops filed down. And then there'll these 18 cowrie shells, and then there's a tapper. Um, you'll see the tapper. The tapper is this thing right here that's on the cover. The, the tapper. And that tapper is in the shape of either, depending on in, in uh, Pan-Africa, really in the Caribbean, they call this individual that's on the tapper legba, or they could call the, in West Africa, they'll call an issue. And so... But it's the same. It's the same entity, same person, same spirit, and the spirit, Legba or issue, who, however you pronounce it or say, uh, excuse me, however you wish to, um, however you want to call that entity, is the gatekeeper. And so you have to satisfy the gatekeeper in order to be able to speak to your ancestors. And so let's just say I come to you. You are a diviner or an oracle. You have this divination tray. I say to you, Blaine, I have a question I want to ask my great, 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 great grandfather. And and then so you will say to me, okay, come on, let's sit down. You sit on a mat on the floor, take your shoes off. It's very, this very ritual to it. Um, I will put in your, you, I will give you an eggshell and I either something like a rock or something. And I will tell you to put them in either hand behind you, you know, put them in either hand. It doesn't matter. I can see it or not. And then your question will be basically, you know, I will throw the Kari shells and I'll t- touch the tapper on the divination tray and it'll tell me which hand to pick. The hand with the rock means it's bad news, going to be a bad answer to your question. The hand with the eggshell means there's going to be good news to your question. So it's 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 a very it's a very ritualistic process. It's not just like I come and I ask you a question and go, "Oh, spirit says it's going to be great weather's going to be you know sunny tomorrow." 
It's not like that. And so that's where that Otis bringing over the housewarming gift and them not understanding how to use it correctly create these whole chain events that leads throughout the, the, the novel. It did because they uh, sort of dismissively play it with a, a, a an answer like, well, I live long or something like that. And it, you know, and then they just, yeah, give up and that's it. And then all of a sudden things start happening, uh, PL. Things start to happen. Now, were these things happening before then? Because we have the kids starting to see ghosts or seeing shadows. Had they seen any of that before the, the divination tray got into the house? No, because what happens is when they played with it, there's a certain ritual that has to be done, and you have to actually close the door. You got to close the session with the divination tray. It isn't that you just stop. There has to be a ritual in order to close that door of that you opened in order to communicate with the spirits when it comes to operating and using that divination tray. And they didn't do it. And so since that door was open and that dimension at that, you know, that portal between two, the real world and the spiritual world was open. That allowed for good and bad spirits just to come in. Because as you, if you've read the novel, like you read the novel, you know that all of a sudden he has a weird conversation he thinks with his grandmother on the phone. And he's like, wait a minute, what's going on? Right. And then that's when the kids start seeing things, uh, shadows and things of that nature. Um, but and then the cat goes missing things like that there's not a lot of scenes i would call comic scenes in here but one of the, the scenes that made me chuckle was when uh aaron comes home as a kid he's living with his grandmother now and he comes home early and he goes here's something he goes down to the basement <laughs> what did he see in the basement because i think that's just that was really funny um I thought it was necessary when I wrote that scene to tie in that it's just not him who has this spiritual connection, but also his, it's, it's going to show that, okay, there was something going on throughout the family. And so he goes downstairs into the cellar um, and he sees his grandmother with her neighbors having a kind of ritualistic event. Um, and it was basically to, uh, uh, one of the neighbors, um, she's, uh, I think Miss Barksdale, she's, uh, uh, she's, a uh, she's kind of, uh, running around town with another neighbor with someone else's husband and that person particularly like put a hex on her. And so they were down there removing the hex and they weren't really actually fully dressed. So that was the thing about it. And course when you when you read it uh for him it was very shocking for the character he'd see his grandmother and her neighbor uh, women who he respected and called miss so-and-so down there half-dressed <laughs> well now pl eventually the lankford children go missing and how did they go missing and explain a little bit about that and then also there's some detectives that have come here, or or I guess they're here, but their spirits have been taken over. Can you explain those two things to us, please? Sure. So, in the in the in the book, um, by them opening up this realm, this door, not closing the divination tray properly, it creates this door. 
the 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 basis of the book is is basically that these spirits, the bad spirits, the shadows, the shades, come in and they want to maintain and keep the door open because they want to create chaos on Earth in the reality, real world. And so their base, their 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 basic premise is their idea is if we can take these kids, he won't close the door because his kids now are basically hostages. So they do physically, they do physically be, they do, they are physically abducted and they are abducted and taken into the spirit world. Um, and then in order to, 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 in the physical world, to make sure that Aaron doesn't in any way, shape or form get close to um, closing the door and hopefully wishing to destroy the divination tray before he has the opportunity to close the door. There are two spirits that um, possess, or as we say in, uh, uh, you know, they mount, uh, which is basically possession. They mount two police officers who are assigned to, um, these police officers are assigned to get to the bottom of what happened to Eric's kids. And so they're basically, the police officer's job, of course, is to be detectives, but the alternative motive since they are possessed by these spirits is to make sure that Aaron does not close that door between spirit world and reality. Okay. And then eventually, eventually we meet Irby. Is that her name? Irby? Yerby? U-R-B-I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she's not too happy with her brother. No, he sold it. He sold the divination trade at a state, at a state sale and she knew the power of that divination tray, and she knew the power of that divination tray if it was used uh, improperly. And thus, she's very upset with her brother for selling that divination tray after her mother's passing because it has created this event which she was fearful of. So he meets her as, in real time, real life. He meets her and convinces her of what's going on. And so now eventually she comes over to the house... And they have another little, I'll call it a powwow. They have a little sit down or ritual. And then they're looking for the, the, the door to get to the other side, to this other spirit world. Where's that door located? It's not where it started out, I don't think. No. So it's kind of like their house is the epicenter for this, this door opening. And it can open anywhere within this location of where this divination tray is. Okay, so one, it could open. It was mainly his daughter throughout the book. It was mainly opening in somewhere where she was seeing it because she was talking a lot about it. And the kids were talking a lot about it. And and basically, Aaron at the time was just assuming that it was his children's ways of trying to convince them that they don't, they want to go back to Washington, D.C. They don't like it in Seattle. Um, so what she convinces them that has to be done is Aaron has a choice. He's either, if he wants his children back, he either has to go in there and get them, or he has to wait for them to come out. But she, of course, is recommending, forget it, close the door. You don't know what you're playing with here. Okay? That's her ideas. But she goes along with Aaron saying, you know, well, if I can't, I can't wait till they come back out. Who knows how long that's going to be, particularly if they're abducted. And second, uh, he says, uh, you know, I got to do the unthinkable and I got to figure out to go in there. 
And so the door opens in this instance, I think it opens in the basement this time that they all recognize and see. And Aaron winds up unbelievably entering this door between two realms. Okay. And that's that that they found that down on the basement, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The cracks in the floor gathered together into far this opening. Okay. All right. So he crosses over to the other side, and lo and behold, who does he meet but his grandmother? Yes. His grandmother is the one there who greets him. And when he comes over and then he, he crosses over into Shadowland. Now, until the very end of the book, he remains in Shadowland, if I'm not mistaken. He's not in Shadowland. No, he's not crossing back and forth because he's not as apt as knowing where the doors are or which to do it. Um, he, his, 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 um, his grandmother is sort of like a Virgil in Purgatory of Dante's Inferno. That was sort of my uh, switch. You that was sort of my uh, um, the way how I kind of structured uh, light, shadowland, then darkness. And there's those those kind of when he's journeying through darkness. And when you read this, there's kind of different levels. There's different kind of who have different things going on in there when he's there. Um, but I wanted to make it so that it wasn't like he's in, in uh, Dante's Inferno where he's moving through these different levels and each people are suffering these different uh, punishments that it was, he couldn't know, well, is this real or not real? Because it seemed like a regular day life. But different things were happening that it was like, hey, what's going on? Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's I think I think his grandmother said to him, just stay on your past, what you're looking at, focus on what you're doing, forget about all the other things and just keep trying to find these kids. Right, because she she warned him and he wasn't sure if that was a dream or was it real because he, he wakes up. Right, he wakes up. She thinks he wakes up. And uh um then what he you know she tells him before he goes in everything that you think you know you don't know concepts of time does not exist um all what you think is real isn't real and 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 uh you know just just stay true to your heart and and stay on like you said laying on the path of fighting these kids your heart will lead them to them and just trust in that because throughout the story as we know um if you know he has a he has issues because of the airplane and because of his parents passing away, he has issues with understanding and, and believing in faith. And she actually says, you know, you, you got to believe in something. So you need to believe right now, just trust in faith that your heart will lead you to where you got to go. Right. Right. Very well. That, that's very well done there. Now, you know, I'm sitting there, we talked a little bit how you have uh, Virgil and Dante as part of this, but I saw a lot of other similarities here. And just let me go through a few of them, if I may. First of all, and just one just popped out of me as we're talking. The gatekeeper, the central area, the hub. We're talking Ghostbusters. I mean, this is exactly like, and it reminds me of that. Wasn't it? He's the gatekeeper. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think that never crossed my mind. Well, okay. 
Well, there you go. I guess I have a fertile, I have a fertile imagination there. Okay. But well, I will say this, the cat, that remind me of, you know, I kind of, I kind of when I writing that and then I stepped back in that myself, I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of like the cat and pet cemetery, Stephen King. Um, you know, kind of where that idea I, I see subconsciously came from. I saw the cat as in the movie Rear Window, where there was a little dog buried in the uh, little garden. And uh, that just, like, I don't know, that's where I, for some reason, I was seeing Raymond Burr doing this. I don't know. It's uh, one of those things. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's where uh, I can see that, where I got that idea from, uh, Pet Cemetery and the Cat, in the book, you know, the book, Stephen King's book, Cemetery. I, I'm, a, I'm a Stephen King fan. Okay. Now, also, you brought in there about that he starts questioning himself. It's like he thinks he's Jekyll and Hyde. Am I do? Did I do this? Did I kill my kids? I mean, he he really thinks that he's killed his children. Wow. The character has what is um, it's called uh, pure OCD. Um, I did a lot of research on it, and people think of OCD in a lot of regards being compulsive actions. But OCD is also compulsive thoughts. And sometimes these thoughts can be very disturbing thoughts of people thinking, um, did I kill that person? I must have killed that person. Uh, um, you know, did I hurt someone? Those those thoughts, um, the, you know, are part of some instances or some symptoms in regards to people who have OCD. Um, I didn't know that until... I really dwelled into this book and it was an idea that was given to me and I'm going to give much kudos to my editor. She's like, you know, Oh, it would, this would be really, really, you know, uh, this would be really fascinating if the character was really, you know, was struggling with this mental issue. And I had the character struggling with mental issues, but I was, I'm going to be honest with you. It was, it was pretty formulaic form formulatic. It was, it, you know, schizophrenia kind of, um, he's like, well, everybody's done that, you know, so let's just kind of make it different. And I, I, I followed her along that path and, um, I'm glad I did. Uh, cause, cause when I did a lot of more research into it, it's very, uh, 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 I did, first of all, I didn't know such, such thing exist. And, and, uh, it's, it's really, you know, people, some people, a lot of people struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. I'll tell you, it, it's what, and you know, friends, you, you may be sitting here and say, what, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on? That's the whole point. You got to read this book. I mean, this book, you're here, you're there, you're back, you're forth, but you're really there. I mean, it's, it's something I, I, I think I read this book in around two days. I love this book. It just grabbed me. And I don't read this stuff normally. That's supernatural, thriller, paranormal. I don't really read that, but, uh, this one, wow, this one just grabbed me. And I think people are going to really enjoy this. Now, we talked a bit about Irby and how uh, she's a big part, but she's a novice uh, at this, if I'm not mistaken, isn't she? Um, she, uh, I think I, I have a chapter in there where she's called the Voodoo Priestess, uh, Voodoo, Voodoo Priestess or Princess. But um, her, her family, um, like I said, that was her mother's divination trace, so her mother is very, very well-versed uh, and had got taught 
um, on how to use such things as divination trays and how to have certain ceremonies in order to call out certain spirits to get certain answers. Um, her mother had her te- learn from her mother's teacher, but she had never, ever, Irby, up until the time she meets Aaron, ever conducted a ritual on her own. She was always with someone who with more experience. And so she is second guessing herself and her abilities um, when she's trying to help Aaron. Of course, she's not letting this be known to Aaron. But as I write, I, you know, I, I talk about her thoughts and how she feels. And she even, as you saw, gets challenged in the end by the big bad demon that happens to come up. You know, when Aaron finally makes it back with the kids, the big bad demon that comes along with them. And so, um, and you know, that creates this dynamic here. And like I said, I fell in love with her and I gave her really too much before the rewrites. She was, she all of a sudden took over the, the novel and I, and I ended up pair her back. And, uh, I, I really, I really felt that she deserves her own story. And I have already started her own story to kind of, and that story is going to be where it's her life's journey. And then it's going to end where she meets Aaron. So I bring, that's how I bring those two books together. Okay, very good. Because that's going to be right. My where my next question is, what what's going to be coming up next? We have this book, and I think you said you're writing some nonfiction books also. Uh, I'm doing some research for uh, um, the university in regards to some of the things dealing with the criminal justice system. Um, my my path of uh, law is more along the lines of uh, civil rights, uh, criminal law employment law um so i do i'm doing a lot of stuff in regards to criminal law um but yeah uh you know that's kind of where some of my research is going and i want to develop it out into uh a more thorough um look at some of the the, our justice system um but from a stand i love the right as you can see but from the standpoint of of uh fiction i'm definitely developing irby's own story there is a sequel to this because I left it open-ended on purpose. The big bad demon is still out there. Um, and I want to tie up some loose family ends that develop from this novel. I want to tie those up. Um, I'm also contemplating, there's a spirit in there in this, in this novel that kind of, she doesn't really haunt Aaron, but in the real world, she kind of tells him, Hey, you're in danger. You know what I'm talking about? You read the book. Uh, I want to, I want to, de- I kind of want to develop her out and have her own story, her own backstory of how she got to that point. Um, the only thing is I don't want it to be a lovely bones type story. So I've, I've been kind of figuring out how I can make this where it's not a lovely bones type thing. Yeah. Wow. That's very good. Now tell me, when you were growing up, did, did you like this type of uh, a book of supernatural paranormal? And, and if so, did you have any favorite authors? Well, Stephen King's my favorite author, but growing up, um, I fell in love. What really activated my imagination and got me to reading it, for, for, you know, ferocious, ferociously, um, is a book called Watership Down, which is about a bunch of rabbits. <laughs> um, I don't know <laughs> if you're familiar with that book, uh, yeah. but Watership Down, that book, man, I don't know what it was. I think I was 13 when I read that book. My dad was like, read this book. It's a great book. You'll, you'll, You'll love it. I'm like, it's a book about rabbits. <laughs> but, um, 
when I read it, it it just like captivated me. I was like, wow, this this journey, this story about these rabbits and their their quest to find a new home and so on, and all the trials and tribulations that they got they go through to get there. Uh, that really really fascinated me. Then from there, I moved to more um, spiritual, paranormal. I got into Stephen King, and I just was reading a lot of Stephen King books for a while there. Uh, like I said, Pet Cemetery, um, It, all those things before they were, you know, movies, you know. And and I I I loved and I the one thing I try to do with the book, and I and I hope I did this with you is I don't want to be gory, but I want to bring you up to this anticipation point, and then I want your imagination to fill it in. I don't want to have to say, oh, and then there was guts everywhere and all that. I don't really like books like that that are really go into too much detail. Um, like, you know, I read a book one time where it was a detective novel and it was talking about how the detective was sipping coffee and he spilled there was this he spilled the coffee on his tie and it added to the three other coffee stains he had on his tie and his tie was striped and polka dotted. In some regards, you know, for me, that's great. I get the picture, but um I like my imagination to kind of fill in the things too. Don't blame you. That makes it better. That makes it all the better. Well, anyway, I, I, folks, if you read this, <laughs> this, this is something else. This is a great book. Your imagination will go all over and you're going to really, really enjoy it. I'll tell you what, I had a blast reading this and I'm so happy we could get together. So, uh, PL, thank you so much for joining us today on, on books and looks and taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with with me and my followers. Thank you so much for having me. I really, truly appreciate it. I had a lovely time. Great. Friends, we'll be right back. Well, again, thanks so very much, uh, PL. Very happy to have you today on this show. Folks, I hope you give this a chance to to read it, to uh, get to understand because this is really interesting stuff. I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. Like I said, I gave it a really high rating. It's a book that Again, maybe not in my wheelhouse, but I'm going to tell you what. Once I got into it, I could not put it down. So, yeah, I'll tell you, I can't wait for the next one that comes out eventually. Okay. So, anyway, hey, on behalf of ViewsOnBooks.com, on behalf of the good friends at Podcast Studio X, this is Blaine Vasanis for Books and Looks, saying they are your lead. Be pages in a book.